0: Nice and full. So well done for showing up today. Treat yourself to a free coffee on me afterwards. Um, I said I came from a Jewish home and uh, I came to Christ as a teenager. I put my faith in the Lord Jesus. One of the things that happened when my friend introduced me to Jesus is he gave me what he called a copy of John's Gospel. It was a little booklet. It was this book of the Bible in little booklet form. And uh, I I was fascinated by it. I I would read it uh, regularly. What struck me as I went through John's account of Jesus was how it all ended. It ended with the resurrection. I thought, by golly, if some chap can come back from the dead, that's unheard of. Well, unheard of in my education. You might know better, but I'd never heard of anything like that. Have you heard anything like that? Someone comes out from the dead and appears as the same person, resurrected. I thought, this man is worth investigating, isn't he? He's worth worth a second look. I I thought the resurrection was the best thing since sliced bread. I, I thought there was nothing to beat it. I mean, I just thought this was absolutely outstanding. So he must be God, I said. He must be God. Who else could do that? But, you know, it took me some years... Uh, before I realize that actually, theologically, the cross is his finest hour. See if you agree with me. Look at verses 20 to 26. 20 to 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, I assume they came to Philip because he is from Bethsaida in Galilee. In other words, he's a northerner. Uh, he's closer to their culture uh, Galilee was a little bit tamer uh, than down in Jerusalem uh, sir they said we wish to see Jesus Philip went and told Andrew Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus and Jesus answered them the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified truly truly I say notice it. truly truly that means listen up listen up amen amen in the old version listen listen I say to you unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies he remains alone But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Now this section is triggered by these Greeks, outsiders, not Jews more like you than me, uh, who come to seek out Jesus, Gentiles. And the irony of them coming is not lost on John. John loves lots of irony. Um, and in fact, it's not lost on the really Jewish Jews. The really Jewish Jews are the Pharisees. And if you look back at uh, the last verse of the previous chapter, at uh, verse 57, you'll see that these Pharisees mockingly believe that the world has gone out after Jesus. See that? Uh, now the chief priests and the Pharisees have given orders if anyone, anyone knew where he was, anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Anyone, anyone. Not just Jews, but anyone. See, in John's Gospel, John's not just concerned for the Jews to believe in Jesus, he's concerned for the world to believe in Jesus. So one of the verses that I printed time and time and time again on a hand press in all sorts of languages, including a simplified English, was from chapter 3 and verse 16. Some of you will know it. For God so loved who? The Jews. The Jews. The Jews. He loved us. didn't love you. He loved us. Us. We're the people of God. No, he loved the world. The world. The world. The world. Jesus said, go into all of Israel and tell them the gospel. No, he didn't. He said, go into all the world. So as you transition from the Old Testament to the New, you see the focus of God, the work of God, is on the world, the world. That's why it's so great, isn't it, to see different people from different backgrounds and cultures in a church. Fantastic. It's more difficult in middle class Surrey. Uh, You know, we we were all the same. Even Farnham is pretty similar. Um, It's only because we've got a little university there with lots and lots of different cultures there uh, that we have some flavour in the cult, in, 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 in the town. But it took me years before I realised that the cross was Jesus' finest hour. In fact, do you know the word used here? It's his glory. His glory. Do you see that? In fact, glory book it, bookends this section. You see it there at verse 20. Um, and these Greeks come, they want to see Jesus. Sorry, you see it there at um, 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Uh, and you see it there. Um, at the end of the section, almost at 28, in fact, where it says, a voice comes, I have glorified it and will glorify it. So so glory and glorification, in a sense, surrounds this section that we're looking at about the cross. The cross is Jesus' finest hour. The key statement in 23 is this, the hour has come, the hour has come. Now, hour in Greek has two possible meanings. It could mean the time, this is the time. Or it could mean this is it, now, here, this hour, this particular hour. It's not just an ordinary analysis of where the sun is in the sky and what sort of is it, morning or afternoon. It's now, now, now. So the hour has come. And John has been using that all the way through his gospel. Uh, he said in chapter 8 and verse 20, for taking notes, well, he still said it, even if you're not taking notes. At 8.20, he said, the hour has not yet come. And you pick that up through John's Gospel. The hour hasn't come, it hasn't come, it hasn't come. Now it's come. The hour has come. It's here. This is it. This is the finest hour. This is the appointed time for his cross work. And he calls it his glorification. Jesus uses the, the word most familiar to him, the one that he loves the most, son of man. He says, um, doesn't he, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if you are an Old Testament reader, a Jewish, and you are a Daniel memorizer, you will know that the Son of Man is the one lifted up in the book of Daniel. The Son of Man. The Son of Man. Daniel's messianic picture of the one who rides on the clouds. His exaltation is what? It's his death. It's his death. So he goes on to explain. It's like a seed, he says, planted in the ground. The seed has to be buried in the ground as if it's dead. Dies. Actually, it doesn't really die, does it, fully? There's still some life within it in some sort when it's watered and the sun's on it. But nonetheless, it's you bury it in the ground and up springs the plant and lots of fruit. Have you ever thought about that? That the cross is Jesus' finest hour? That's why we are if I may say so, cross-centered people. That's what we are. That's why we celebrate communion. Because without the death of Jesus, we are utterly, utterly sunk. Our songs told us that. Now, I think this is the opposite of most people's thinking today, don't you? Most people think that you're born on earth, the baby is born to live. This is a man born to die. Our world thinks you live your allotted time here on earth and then sadly it all ends at death. So for reasons which I fail to understand, we have to wear black at a funeral. We have to be mournful. We have to say all sorts of lovely things about their life in the past. What a lovely life they lived and all this. Whether it's true or not, we have to say all that because now we're so sad they've died. End of story. So we try and get the most out of life. We do the best we can. We design our, uh, our bucket list and off we go. So most of my friends, I'm one of the baby boomers, and most of our friends have reasonable pensions, so do we actually, and they spend them on cruises. They love it. Where are you going next on your holiday? They ask us, where are you going next on the holiday? Go to Romania, what do I go there for? Okay, go to Siberia, who ever goes there? Uh, uh, we do actually have a place in Portugal. I preach in Portugal and I preach in Brussels as well. So those are acceptable places. But who goes to the ends of the earth today? Because you think, see, our our world thinks life ends in death. So get the most out of life that you can. The gospel says the very opposite, it reverses it. The gospel says it's death that produces life. We start with the death of our Lord Jesus, and we gain resurrection life. We die to sin, and we live with freedom and forgiveness. There was an old chap. I think he was called Frank, but we know him as St. Francis of Assisi. And he once wrote a poem, which even uh, a previous prime minister of this country quoted when starting her office. Make me a channel of your peace, is the poem. It is in dying that we're born to eternal life, the song says. It is in dying that we're born to eternal life. In other words, it's death that begins new life, both for Jesus and for us look at verse 25 for example whoever loves his life that means loves it too much this life well you'll lose it and whoever hates his life in this world John always uses exaggerated language will keep it for eternal life if anyone serves me he must follow me where I am there will my servant be if anyone serves me the father will honour me in other words don't hold on too tightly to this life because the real life is the eternal life that's the life we're designed for That's what Jesus died for. That's why resurrection for Jesus is so fantastic. And one of the lovely things about life on earth, I don't want to be too negative about this world, but one of the loveliest things about life on earth is it can lead to a life with God. How else would you find eternal life if you didn't live on earth and someone explained the good news of Jesus to you? And even while we're here on earth, we can enjoy eternal life. Life in the company and presence of of God. But if we hold on to the things of this world too tightly, then we'll lose everything, says Jesus. So our calling, your calling, my calling, is to follow Jesus. For God will honour his true servant. So if we want to see Jesus, just like the Greeks did, then where do we need to look? We look at the cross. We look at the cross. Because unless we do that, we won't see Jesus clearly and properly. If we look at his birth and think it's all there, he's one with us, incarnate. That's it. God has come alongside us. You won't get the gospel out of his birth alone. Or if you look at his brilliant teaching, fantastic teaching, even my mother told me to turn the other cheek. Where did she get that from? But you won't get the gospel that way. You'll get a moral life, a good life, but you won't get the gospel that way. Even if you look at his miracles, his signs, fantastic, weren't they brilliant? Walking on water, healing sickness. Just think of that touching the man's ear and it's put back in place again. Even resurrection. Will you get the gospel from that? How will you know sins are forgiven? How will you know you've got a place in God's kingdom from those things? No, no, no. No, no, however good those things are, however amazing the signs and miracles are, It's to the cross we have to look. Because it was for that reason that Jesus came. That's right, isn't it? Look at 27 and 28. Now is my soul troubled. Yes, yes, of course it is. He's going to the cross. He's human. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. This is my reason for living. Father glorify your name Then a voice came from heaven I've glorified it and I will glorify it again it was for this reason that I came death we believe produces life that's the opposite to what the world believes it was so for Jesus there's no resurrection without a prior death it's so for us if we die to self we have life with Christ if we don't die to self and our self is too dominant and is king of our lives, then we will die with no eternal life. There must be a constant dying to self. It is very, very countercultural to follow Jesus Christ. And it's getting more so. Have you come across Danny Kruger? No, he doesn't play rugby, and nor does he play football for any club. He is the MP for Devizes. And he made his maiden speech in the House of Commons on January the 29th. It's a brilliant speech. He's a keen Christian. He was pilloried in the Times newspaper after this. This is what he concluded. He said, as we advance at speed into a bewildering world, where we are forced to ask the most profound questions about the limits of autonomy and what it means to be human, we may have reasons to look about for the old ways and seek wisdom in the old ideas, which are, in my view, entirely timeless. You see what he's saying? You beware, he says, autonomy is limited. To be truly human... You have to die to self. That's the old way. You don't exert self. Yet it's entirely timeless. Well, if the cross was Jesus' finest hour, uh, the next section tells us that the cross does what nothing else can do. The cross does what nothing else can do. Look at 27 onwards. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name and a voice came from heaven I have glorified it and I will glorify it again a crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered others said an angel had spoken to him Jesus answered this voice has come for your sake not mine now is the judgment of this world now will the ruler of the world be cast out and I when I'm lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die So the crowd answered him. We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. You see, the world says death is the end the gospel says death is Jesus glory and in his great great kindness God speaks directly for all to hear that's what verse 28 is isn't it a voice came from heaven (coughs) a voice came from heaven Jesus says father glorify your name that's his prayer And the voice responds, God responds, I have glorified, I will glorify it. And Jesus says, this voice is for our benefit, 30. The voice has come for your sake, not mine. Jesus says the voice is is for us. You see, the cross is such a stunning turning point in world history that it needs a voice from God to spell it out. The cross... Thought by Jews to be a curse. Anyone who dies on the cross is cursed. It's far from that. Far from that. Look at its huge effect. Look at its huge effect from 31 onwards. Judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Now, please notice the effects of the death of Jesus, which are mentioned here. Number one, the world is judged. Number one, the world is judged. We may think that judgment happens at the end of this world. And that is true, judgment will take place at the end of this world. But judgment begins when Jesus actually walks into this world. When the owner takes back possession of his world. And what do we humans do with the owner when he walks onto the stage? We kill him. We kill him. We kill him. We, we humans, kill him. We kill him. You see, all through history, Jesus has caused division. He exposes his, our evil deeds by his brilliance. That's what we see at the cross. Now, here's Don Carson. In the callous murder of the Son of God, sin displays itself in its most virulently evil form, says Carson, The world is judged at the cross. The world is judged. But it's from that exact death that Jesus is securing the eternal life of many. So securing them, us, from this eternal judgment. That's why we call on one another to come under the cross. We constantly sing our songs about the cross. Come under the protection of the cross, we say. First, the world is judged. Secondly, Jesus says, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Satan is toppled. The world is judged. Satan is toppled. Again, the old devil may have thought he had won at the cross. We've got him, we've got him, we've got him, he's on there. Can you imagine all the demons, if they jump for joy, what do they do? Uh, Shout, whatever they do, scream for joy. But it's far from that. It's Jesus' finest hour, it's their defeat. You see, as Jesus was enthroned by the Father, Satan was dethroned. The sting was drawn. He no longer had the upper hand. Oh, of course, they wouldn't have seen it, would they? Everybody looking. Poor man, dead. That's the end. If you if we were there, on the Saturday, you would have said, no Christianity. That's the end of it. Go Not until Sunday morning that the penny starts to drop, is it? Or perhaps the denarius starts to drop. I don't know what drops. But it's only then when it dawns on you, doesn't it? That's the proof. That's the proof, isn't it? Here's a man who said he was going to deal with sin, and he's done it. Here's the man who says he was going to conquer evil, and he's done it. Here's the man who said he's going to triumph over death, and he's done it. Don't you think that's brilliant? That's why I think the resurrection is so fantastic. But you've got to have a cross. You've got to have a cross before you get to a resurrection. Now, please don't take Satan too lightly. He is a wicked, wicked enemy. But he's not king. He might be prince of this world, but he's not king. His power has been curtailed at the cross. Jesus has overcome. And if we come under Jesus' protection, we too will overcome. The world is judged. Satan is toppled. And thirdly, Jesus is lifted up. Now, that's a very interesting phrase there in 32. Jesus says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people to to myself. So it could be lifted up on a cross. That's right, he was lifted up on a cross. That is true. But it also could mean he was lifted up for all to see exalted. It has both meanings. And in John, you never know which meaning is the right one. So let's take both. It's a safer side to be on, isn't it? Hedge your bets. It's his finest hour. It's his finest hour, isn't it? One commentator says the cross is his throne. I rather like this. The cross is his throne. His crucifixion is his coronation, says this writer. He reigns from the tree. I quite like that. We would say the cross is his pathway to glory. It is his glory. Jesus is lifted up. And John goes further than that. He says that Jesus says he wasn't only lifted up, he said, Jesus said he would draw people to himself. So here's number four. The world is judged, Satan is toppled, Jesus is lifted up, and all kinds of people are drawn to the Lord Jesus. There he is, high and lifted up for all to see. Everyone can see him. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? The cross doesn't just lift up Jesus so we hang our heads in shame and say, poor, poor man, sad story, all the end. They got him in the end, didn't they? No, 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 no. Something about the cross draws us to the Lord Jesus. Just think about that. Think about all the art that has been produced over the years uh, of the cross. Think what that portrays. It's strange, isn't it? A God on a cross? No, no, you don't get that. Where do you ever see that? Where do you ever see a suffering God? Where do you ever see that? Where where do you ever see the most beautiful, lovely man crucified for things he never did? Where do you ever see that? Strange, isn't it? So we stop and we stare and we look. And we rub our chins and we say, hmm, what does that mean? A king on a cross, God on a cross. What does that mean? The Son of Man lifted up. And we're sort of drawn in, aren't we? We're drawn in. How can that be, we say? It took me ages, you know, before I understood what it meant, the simple words, Jesus died for my sins. Five simple words. I understood Jesus, human person, as a Jesus, he, son of God. I understand dying. I understand what it means for. My. Why do you have to have someone to die for your sins? I'm Jewish. Haven't we got the law? Can't we just tell people what to do and they behave? But well, when I had children, I found out it didn't work. <laughs> you try telling your children to behave. Just once. See if they obey you. Try it twice. Try it three. How many times do you have to tell them? You see, because it's all external. It's all banging the truth into them. And of course we've got to do that. But until there's a heart change, until there's a heart change, you'll never really say Jesus died for my sins. You'll just say it as a, what, five words that a factual. But you won't feel it. It won't mean anything to you. It won't change you until you digest it deep within. That, that's what the cross does. It draws us in. It draws us in. It draws us in. Not just to the horror, but to the man on the cross. I don't normally quote old hymns, but here's an old Samuel Crossman hymn written in 1664. Why, what has my Lord done what makes this rage and spite the prince of life they slay yet cheerful he to suffering goes that he his foes might thence uh, from thence might free my song is love unknown see the arrival of the greeks reminds us that all people are welcome to come to the lord jesus to look at his cross and say those wounds that pain All that agony of separation from the Father was for someone like me. The cross shows what kind of death Jesus endured. An atoning death. Only possible if he's the eternal son of God. And this threw the Jews into complete confusion. How can you be eternal and still die? Isn't that what they're saying in 34? So the crowd answered, we have heard from the law that the Christ is eternal, Messiah is eternal, remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? They can't get their heads around it, that an eternal God should die. And I don't think most of the world can. We must understand just who Jesus is in order to appreciate just what Jesus has done. He asks us to look at him and to follow him. He says he's the light in verse 36. The light is among you for a little while. I think it's referring to himself. I'm here, he says. I'm teaching you the truth. So follow the light while you've got the light. Don't let darkness overtake you. Now, these verses, 36 and 37, are the last time the public call to follow Jesus comes in John's Gospel. From now on, he's going to turn towards the disciples and teach them. So when we go the rest of the chapter and then into John 13, the washing of the disciples' feet, it's all for the disciples' sake. Here is the last public call to come and trust in the Lord Jesus, to come and follow the Lord Jesus, to come and have true faith or belief in the Lord Jesus, to take hold of this eternal life, to know the joy of forgiveness by walking in the light. See, the world blinds us. Jesus illuminates us. The world loves its darkness. Jesus loves the light and the truth. Therefore, isn't it best to walk in the light? Here's my last point as a summary of the last few verses. Conclusion, Jesus calls us to lean all our weight on him. 37 onwards. You see, there's divided opinion that's going to come in a moment. Some are going to not believe, and uh, even some do believe. Uh, Look at it from 37 onwards. Though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he's blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed him. There were believers. But for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. That was the worst thing that could happen for a Jew to be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. He's saying he's God, isn't he here? I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save, rescue the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my uh, my words has a judge, The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day for I have not spoken on my own authority but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say therefore I say as the Father has told me. Now there are two reasons for unbelief as far as I can see in these verses. The first one is that Isaiah predicted it. Those verses quoted from Isaiah are predictions aren't they? that people are blinded, they will not see. So Isaiah predicted it. But there is a second reason, I think, that comes out in verse 43. It's that people are blind and refuse to believe. It is When you go to hell, by the way, if you ever go there, and I hope nobody ever goes near there, you will never be able to say, uh, God, you've never told me about Jesus. You've you never told me how to be forgiven. It's your fault that I'm here. In fact, you might even say, you predestined me to be here, so I couldn't do anything about it. Rubbish. You and I have a choice. We have a choice today, if no other day. People are blind because they refuse. It's our stubborn wills. If you haven't come across your stubborn will yet, then follow Jesus and you will find one. See? Because generally speaking, according to 43, we love the glory that comes from man. Generally speaking, we love it. We love it. More than the glory that comes from God. That was their problem. It's ours too, isn't it? Now, there are good reasons to believe. First of all, to trust Jesus is to know God. 44 says that, doesn't it? Whoever believes in me, believes not in me only, but in him who sent me. Seeing Jesus is to see God, isn't it? How astonishing that someone on this earth could be God. How astonishing that someone who died on the cross could be God. Not so astonishing when they come back from the grave that they could be God. Many simply close their eyes to the cross, you know. But Jesus is the light, the light that will take us to God, the light that takes us out of our human darkness. I think that's 46, isn't it? I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Three good reasons to believe. Because trusting in God, oh sorry, trusting in Jesus means following God. Secondly, to not trust in Jesus, put it negatively, to not trust in Jesus is to bring judgment upon yourself. If you refuse to hear properly what he says and think that you know better, then you put yourself in the most precarious position possible, under eternal judgment. So, what 47-49 says, doesn't it? I've spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Have we listened to Jesus? He hasn't come first time round to judge us. He's come to save us. But when he comes second time round, he will be to judge us. So to not trust in Jesus is to put yourself under eternal judgment. Thirdly, properly listening to Jesus, properly listening to him, taking on board what he says really acting on it, is the greatest joy and freedom there is. We call it eternal life. That's what he called it as well. It's not just life that goes on and on forever. It's not everlasting life. That's one kind of life. This is life that is a new quality of life. This is life in a new dimension. This is eventually life without sin. To trust Jesus is to know God. To not trust Jesus is to bring judgment on yourself. But properly listening to Jesus... Taking on board what he says gives us eternal life. So, John presents his material to us. He says to us, You have a choice. Whoever believes, verse 44, comes into the light and finds great joy and freedom. But anyone who hears and does not act on what he says, 47, faces judgment. Now, Jesus didn't come primarily to hammer us on the head and judge us, not primarily. He came in love to draw us, to woo us. Take a look at the cross. Make up your mind. At the cross, Jesus is able to do what no one else can do. Topple Satan and draw us to himself. You see, the pressure of the passage says to me, John Ross, will you therefore lean your weight on Jesus Christ or will you walk away? The consequences for you this morning, John Ross, are stark. The plea from God this morning to you, John Ross, from this passage of scripture, is to trust the Lord Jesus and come into his light. Will you join me in do that? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus into the world. We thank you for the cross whereby we are drawn to the Lord Jesus. We don't want to end this life just in death. We want eternal life with you, even now. So help us, we pray, to lean all our weight on Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, to know that he conquered sin, overcame Satan, and even death itself. We place our hands, Heavenly Father, into your safe hands and the hands of our Lord Jesus. Fill us with your spirit, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.